Hello. 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 And welcome, welcome to, to Laughbox. Laughbox, the podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And now, here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, here we are. It's time for Laugh Box. And I tell you what, such a great conversation today with my good friend, Dr. Heidi Hanna. We talk about some of her new research on humor in the brain, how you can go from one point to another. And something we did talk about was her stress summit that's coming up. Uh, eventually, we'll have a link uh, on the show notes where you can sign up. But if you sign up for the stress summit before, an email Heidi at Heidi at HeidiHanna.com. Uh, she'll uh, donate uh, $47 to AATH and you'll get a free book. Hey, is that cool or what? Hey, I know you're going to dig this conversation as much as I did. Uh, Heidi is just is so smart. She has so much information to share. Um, so I just want you to really get a pad and paper, get ready to write some stuff down and enjoy. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Left Box. I am so excited because, you know, today, you know, well, I like talking to cool people every day, but some days are better than others. You know, you get to talk to cool people that also are friends. And so today I get to talk to a cool person that's also a friend. I get to talk to Dr. Heidi Hanna. Uh, welcome, my friend, to the to the show. Big Big cheers to you. Hooray. I'm so glad. I'm so happy to talk to you because like, you are a super cool person. So are you talking with me or are you talking at me? Because uh, that, that was a lot that you had to say right there in the beginning. And I love it. Well, I, just, I like, I, I like I the sound so, of my I feel, name. I feel so strongly about you that it was really kind of like both. I was talking about you and with you kind of simultaneously. It was kind of like a mesh thing. So yeah. Um, uh, thanks for throwing me under the bus on that one. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And I, I always say, I don't know why we have to wait till moments like these to connect, but I reached out to you because I had some things I wanted to share with your audience. And there is no one I would rather have this conversation with because you always make it so fun too. And I, I actually probably will laugh out loud, which is a lot coming from me. So I look forward to that. Oh, Heidi, you had me at hello. Oh, wow. <laughs> That is so, it warms the cockles of my heart. So my friends, uh, my friends, so, you know, it, not everybody knows you like I know you. So for the, uh, the population at large, if you get the background on uh, Heidi Hanna, Esquire, doctor, neuroscientist, super cool person, just give them the back, give them the, give them the 411, the DL. Well, your introduction is probably better, um, but I will say a little bit about my background. I um, and I am 
an integrative neuroscientist, so I'm actively doing research related to the brain, uh, specifically looking at how a lot of different elements impact our brain health and performance. So even just over the last couple of years, my roles have actually changed pretty dramatically, which has been fun and keeping me on my toes. Uh, I'm going to school again because I love it so much, and soon I will be a paradox. Um, I'm studying global leadership and change at Pepperdine and actually looking at a new model that incorporates integrative neuroscience into human adaptability and stress resilience. So my focus has always been on stress and the impact on the brain and where it kind of connects with mental, emotional, and social health. And if that isn't enough, I am a certified humor professional. I don't consider myself funny, but I am a big time humor appreciator and I know the impact that humor has on our health and our brain performance. So I always like to tell people more about that. Um, and I guess one little, little side note that I've been really excited about lately, I'm also an instructor. So I'm teaching a course at Harvard this semester on brain health and performance and getting to incorporate some humor into that too. Now, I don't understand that. I understood like 25% of what you said there. <laughs> and we're um, just getting started. <laughs> exactly. Which is fine. You know, what I did understand is that, you know, uh, you're a certified humor professional. So am I. Um, and I would agree with you that you are not funny. Um, mm. <laughs> That was really funny to me. Um, no, you actually are really funny to me. Um, and I really enjoy uh, your company because you always make me laugh. So um, for all our listeners, that was just, you know, between Heidi and I. Anyway, so I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You know, so because, you know, we, have, we don't get to talk that much. and You got some new stuff to share. Before we get into our conversation, I'm just going to ask you a random question. It has nothing to do with um, what we're going to talk about. So yesterday, Super Bowl, Kansas City. Happy, sad, what are your feelings? So happy. So I actually am a Chiefs fan, which is bizarre because I lived in Kansas City for six months and I don't remember those fondly. So um, interestingly enough, I had the chance to speak at the NFL annual meeting a couple years ago, which is so random. Uh, and a woman after my talk, like leapt over the tables to get my attention and begged me to come speak at a conference that she was hosting in Kansas city. Turns out her husband was the president of the chief's organization, worked for the hunt family for years. So I actually got to go to a game, get to know the owners. Um, and the sheer have just been loving watching Patrick Mahomes. So I had my Casey hat on and I know a lot of people were wondering what the heck was going on. Um, but I'm, I'm a Chiefs fan. I'm also a Seahawks fan. So once Seahawks were out of it, it was all about the red team. Although now that I see the red team, I guess there were two of them. So that's how I felt. How about you, Chip? Uh, I was, uh, I'm a Midwest boy. So um, I was rooting for the, uh, I was rooting for Kansas City as well. You know, once uh, Green Bay was out, I was like, well, I guess we're going to go for the Chiefs because they're Midwest. And, and fundamentally, and nothing against anybody else, I think Midwestern people are the salt of the earth. So that's just uh, my like personal opinion. Kind of and, yeah. What's that? Yeah. I said, if you like that kind of thing, you know, some people I, I, salty I do. And some people don't. So. Some people like it salty. Some people like it nutty. Some people like it salty nutty. So let's, uh, let's jump right in. And I'm really excited about some of the you know, research you've been you know, uh, doing on uh, uh, 
uh, humor in the brain, uh, negativity bias. So let's just like, you know, jump right in on some of the stuff you've been working on. Yeah. So I'd love to share this story in particular because it speaks to why I was so excited to come to AATH. So the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, I kind of stumbled into it. And I think many people have probably heard me share this before, but I was going through a really horrible depression. I've actually struggled with depression since I was about 10 years old. And it manifested in a lot of different ways that really has inspired a lot of my own work, trying to figure out my own brain. But at this moment in time, probably eight years or so ago, um, I just felt like I wasn't laughing enough. And so as any good nerd would do, I went online and looked up studies about humor and like, why am I craving this and how do I get more of it? And there was a conference a block away from my condo in San Diego. In fact, as I'm telling this story, Chip, I actually remember seeing you there as I believe I was walking into some sort of gathering of, of people, um, I think you were nice to me at that moment. Um, but anyway, I do, I'm, all, I do I'm always nice. I'm always nice to pretty <laughs> I do, ladies. I do I'm recall always, that experience. I'm always nice to attractive women. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? I, walking you know, in the streets in San exactly. Diego. So yeah. that's probably, you know, probably my MO right there because I was like, hey, hey how are you doing? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so anyway, I, I went in and it was just a, the whole thing was pretty bizarre, to be honest. I mean, from Mary Kay Morrison, like, you know, sending me notes about how I had to meet this other person, Karen Buxman, who lived in San Diego. And I, I just was so burnout and depressed. The last thing I wanted to do was like go meet another person, especially someone who was a humor enthusiast and just didn't know what I was getting myself into. Anyway, fast forward a bit. I ended up speaking at the conference. I ended up so inspired by the people who were there and the stories they were sharing. And I signed up the next year to attend again and become a certified humor professional. And part of why I share that is because for me personally, trying to find a way out of some of my challenges with mental health, humor appreciation really became very important. Uh, the appreciation of it and then eventually the application of it. And I think a lot of people get lost in the fact that they think that you either have a sense of humor or you don't. Or if you appreciate humor, that means you're trying to tell jokes all the time, which is not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. There's actually a lot of really good strategic ways to have more humor, um, build your mirth muscle, as I like to refer to it, um, and practical things that you know help our business and our relationships and things like that as well. So for... Um, Humor Academy, I ended up doing a study looking at the impact of uh, strategic humor intervention on something called negativity bias. And negativity bias, we all have. It's our hardwired tendency to pay more attention to negative than positive. It turns out we have about five times more negative circuits in the brain than positive, and we respond much more quickly to negative stimulation than positive. I know everyone's thinking, yeah, you know, of course, right? Well, but no, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's really. No, maybe that. not, of course. Well, well, I mean, why? Before we get into that, why is that? I mean, why do we have so much more, you know, negative, you know, uh, connections in there than, than you know, humor or positive ones? Well, it really has to do with survival mechanisms. So it is much more important that you notice a snake 
in the grass moving, you know, you're going to have a heightened reaction to that than a potential, you know, tree with a bunch of yummy berries in it that you could eat. That's rewarding. I mean, it just ultimately comes down to our protection and preservation mechanisms. That makes sense. Okay. Um, All right. Cause I mean, cause I, I, I think about that is that even though I'm a fairly positive person, I still like, I notice a lot more negative and sometimes the rumination portion of my brain and, you know, I'll ruminate about the negative, like, oh, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. You know, and, and so I think a lot about that as far as like, you know, why is this like this? I'm really a, more of a positive person. And so, you know, that makes more sense to me now on, you know, framing it in, uh, framing it like that. It was like, all right, well, you know, I'm just trying to survive. Yeah. And I think that's a really important um thing to clarify. So I'm really glad that you asked that and reminded me that this is not common sense to everybody who's not looking at it every day of their life, because it sounds like it's negative. And in fact, part of my research is to redefine what it is we're talking about. It's been called negativity bias for so long. And when we measure people individually, we'll find people along a spectrum of high and low negativity bias, Mm. or the reverse of that would be high and low positivity bias. What makes you sound like or feel like you're a good person or a bad person, and it's not the case, it's actually a threat sensitivity. So my guess, knowing you um, as little as I do, um, (laughs) but also appreciating your sense of humor, you probably have a very high negativity bias, and I do as well. And the reason I can anticipate that is because you can see things maybe ahead of time. Like you're always 10 steps ahead. You're also a really great leader. You're also um, probably pretty dialed into emotional cues, although I don't know, your wife may or may not agree with that at times. But, um, you know, the, the ruminating and the things that you find challenging are also very common for people who have this heightened threat sensitivity because it's like we're the worriers, but we're also the protectors of our families, of our communities. They they tend to be very creative, uh, very witty. So there's these positive traits that come with people that have negativity bias, but the challenge is if it's not navigated well, or if we don't set healthy boundaries, or if we don't recharge our own battery, if we're not getting enough positivity, gratitude, and humor, mm-hmm. our system literally gets hijacked. And now we're so threat sensitive that we're not as creative and we're not as flexible and we're not as good uh, at leading and other things like that anymore. That's really interesting to me because you know, I, I've always classified myself as a professional warrior. That's, yeah. you know, I'm always, you know, I like, uh, I'm thinking, you know, a month down the road, six months down the road, I've got this, I've got this, I've got these things I got to worry, you know, worry about. I've got these things I got to take care of. And so that kind of like tethers into the negativity bias. Um, Mm -hmm. But then what you said, you know, uh, looking at the other aspect, uh, if you don't balance that out with, you know, like humor and positive things, then, you know, you you could go down a dark hole. Um, However, is that a natural thing, you know, for some people? That, you know, they, because I look at it as that, you know, yes, I'm a professional warrior. However, um, I also um, uh, try to balance that. I, I have an, yeah, I always say it, like a natural balancing on uh, um, the positive aspects of my life as well. Right, right. Well, so statistically, we know that about 15 to 20% of the population 
is highly sensitive. So there's a threat sensitivity. Uh, many of these people are also what we would call sensory sensitive. I'm sorry. As I'm saying this, my mind's going, don't forget to tell them that I am too. Like, I'm not saying this is bad. I actually think that in many ways, sensitivity is a superpower, but you have to know how to use it mm -hmm. well. Um, so yeah, 15 to 20% of the population is likely threat sensitive. We also live in a world right now with a lot of heightened sensitivity, um, stimulation, connection to technology. So it's going to be interesting to see if more and more people are kind of dealing with this heightened sense. It's why anxiety is becoming a bigger and bigger issue, especially in um, college age students. So all that to say if I could just for one moment, and then we can, we can kind of go back and flush this out more, is that I have a very high negativity bias. As I understood that about myself, I started to see why humor was having such an impact. So I just put myself on a 30-day humor challenge where every morning I'd find something and share it with people. Mm -hmm. And I, I scored myself. So I used a clinically validated neuroscience assessment, you know, showed that my negativity bias was a one, which in this case is like as high as it could be in clinical and ended up after 30 days being a 4.5, which may not sound like a lot, but consider that 5.5 is average and 4.5 to 6.5 is considered kind of that healthy average. So I may have been a little bit more sensitive to negative cues, but it wasn't affecting me in a negative way. And I can actually tell you, I saw the world different. And that was the only thing I changed was finding things funny, sharing them with other people. And that's essentially what prompted me to do more research. Now I want to talk about the scale in just a second. All right. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, that, that measurement piece, but going back to what you were talking about as far as the um, the uh, technology piece, how does that how, how does that contribute to uh, the negativity bias? So there's a lot of different elements with that. And uh, it was a few years ago, but I actually wrote a book called Stressaholic. And I talk a little bit about that because of the notion that the human brain is really wired to crave new novel information. Um, and if you look at technology, a lot of people actually, unfortunately, have become addicted to technology, but there's different reasons why that happens. One is we now have in our hands a window to the world. There's more information than we could ever possibly even connect to or process. Mm -hmm. um, and so since the brain is craving that, it's constantly wanting more and more and more more so it's like it's never enough the information we've gathered that we really need to consolidate into wisdom we're just throwing more crap on top of it right mm -hmm. like oh the next thing the next thing the next thing we also use it for stimulation so technology gives us a hit of dopamine which feels good and gives us some motivation um, and even like negative news that we're getting gives us a little spike of that as well so really you know, it knows how to tap into that and keep us connected and keep us addicted. Yeah, it's interesting. When we experience stress or threat, we actually have an initial spike in feel-good chemicals that are designed to help us get through whatever the danger is. So imagine like you're getting this spike because you just saw something horrible, but you actually kind of feel good and you want to learn more about it. Like and watching, so a, like watching a train wreck. 
Yeah. And you're never letting those, those neurochemicals like calm down. You're just like, oh, but now I feel tired. So I'll just go back right to my device. I'll just get more information. I'll just get more stimulation and then just like distraction as well. So we're not good at being tired and just saying, I just need to rest. I need to recharge my own batteries. So we just amp up on top of amp up and then negativity bias gets stronger and stronger. So interesting. I mean, I knew about like the dopamine hits on like the positive things, you know, you, you put a picture on Facebook, people like it. You're like, Oh, you, and you're like, you get a little hit on that and it's, it's, it can be addictive, but I did not know about the, uh, the negative stuff as well. That is so fascinating. And you got to watch out for those too, because you know what? I was just journaling about this the other day. I decided to share a personal story that I was very vulnerable about. And it doesn't matter how many times you've done that. There's just always that sense of like regret right after you hit send of, Oh Mm -hmm. my gosh, this is too much. They can't handle it. And, and then what I realized is I started getting all these positive comments. Well, before long, I'm like glued to my, my own Facebook to make sure I'm getting these positive comments. Well, what happens when the comments start to die down? Now I'm like going through this like rebound effect of like, no, he loves me anymore. You know, it was just, just so silly. So we have to, we have to really keep an eye on some of those things, understanding that the human system is cyclical. Like we're supposed to have ups and downs, Mm -hmm. but we have to get more comfortable with coming down and calming down and chilling out. And most people just aren't comfortable doing that anymore. Uh, I agree. And I won't even get into the whole, you know, uh, Facebook, you know, uh, thing where, people show like their best stuff so so they get hits so i I really want to talk about the scale um you know because you said that uh, you went up to a 4.5 i mean what is the scale because i i'm not familiar with it and i want to know more yeah so i'm really fortunate um one of my now just closest friends is also my research partner. And we probably connected about 10 years ago. I was so fascinated with his work. His name's Evian Gordon, Dr. Evian Gordon. And he actually created and facilitates and continues to operate the world's largest standardized database of brain research. Uh, Notice I slowed down for you there, Chip. Did you get that? Yes, I did. Thank you. (laughs) I just want want to make sure because I know sometimes big words throw you off a little bit. They do. They, I, I am so glad that you did slow down on that because, you know, I, 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 I freely admit that I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. So thank you. You are indeed you are. So for everyone's benefit, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. But you know what? We hear so much about neuro everything right now. And a lot of it's like, oh, it's the next big thing. I'm, I'm just saying this is a really big deal that he has this database. Over 400 peer-reviewed journal articles have been published. We actually just published uh, our first paper together last year. And we're doing some uh, incredible stuff now. So the reason I say that is that his assessment has been used clinically for many, many decades, but I've started to use it with business professionals. And it's actually the one that I used in my Humor Academy project um, to evaluate the impact of watching funny videos every day for 30 days and like what would happen to these other people. Mm -hmm. So within that assessment, there's actually now 12 different core capacities and they look at the brain's ability to um, sense, feel, think and self-regulate 
And so within each of those, there's different factors. So negativity bias is one, but we also look at cognitive flexibility, attention and focus. We look at stress and resilience. There's a lot of different factors within that. Negativity bias for me is just the one that stands out the most. And in fact, we're doing um, the follow-up to our study last year, which showed the impact of stress on cognitive and emotional health. What we're doing now, because I keep like banging down the door and making them do this, is we're starting to pull out from that people who have low, moderate, or high negativity bias. Because overall, we saw that negativity bias did impact some emotional health factors, but it did not impact cognitive health. Um, what I'm nudging us to evaluate again is I think that that's really dependent on somebody's bias because essentially that's the lens through which you see stress. So if I have a heightened sensitivity, if my negativity bias is high and my stress level is high, it is going to show more um, challenges cognitively. And, and the best example I could think of is that we know that cognitive flexibility is decreased. So if you want to be creative or innovative or collaborative, you have to have cognitive flexibility. And when we're experiencing a lot of stress and we're sensitive to that, um, it's definitely going to show some impact. So, okay. I'm trying to like process some of that, but my, uh, when I'm, when you said What's that, the real question, you want me to tell you what your score is? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't want to, I, I don't like to put number. I don't like to judge myself. Oh, oh true. Yeah. I know. Um, You're so good but that. my uh, question is, is like, so how, how does humor like impact that? Yeah. When you're looking at, um, you know, moving from one state to another, you know, how does that work into the brain's, you know, flexibility or um, uh, its overall health? So this is, and I'm so glad you asked that. And, I, and I'm glad that you asked it the way that you did too, because you actually, without knowing it, just totally set me up to talk about what I'm studying right now. Um, Giddy up, cowgirl. Exactly. There you go. See ya. <laughs> I'm just, so see, a, I'm, completely, I'm completely in learn mode because, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, you're, <laughs> you feel like funny, funny, you should ask that question. Um, so I, I believe this is the first time this is being done. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I have been looking at a lot of the research. I'm just now starting a new study to look at what I'm calling a humor mindset. So we know humor styles and humor personality and humor type and different things. But what I'm trying to see is what is it about the mindset that changes when we're a humor appreciator or instigator? So I playfully call that humor AI, right? Like, are you more of a person who appreciates it? How much do you appreciate it? Are you someone who instigates it? How much do you instigate it? And then we've got some other factors within that because my hypothesis is this, and it really comes a lot from what I've seen in my own experiences over the last eight years, is that when we look at stress, for example, stress is what happens when demand exceeds capacity. So it could be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, social. If there's more demand than you have capacity for, stress reactions are initiated to help you bridge that gap. So where does humor play in? Um, it actually plays in both of those factors. So it can, increase your capacity to cope. So if I find something funny and I'm getting the benefits of that positive emotional experience, it's actually giving me more capacity 
from an energy perspective than if I wouldn't have done that. So now I just feel more kind of recharged. I may be looking at things in a new way. But at the same time, it also diminishes our perception of demand because as you know, when you actually practice seeing things funny or finding things funny, it's like you're looking at, through a new lens. So I'll give mm -hmm. you a practical example. Um, I've been speaking uh, you know, for probably the last 10 years all across the globe. I you know, always tell people my two biggest fears are flying in public speaking and yet I do them for a living. So you know, just even being able to say that in many ways for me makes it like takes the edge off a little bit to say mm -hmm. look we're all in this together it but gives you it thing, gives you it gives you control uh, in a way it gives you control over that or power over that i think it just puts it like puts it out there for people so i'm not trying to be something i'm not you know i'm mm -hmm. not perfect and it's kind of like hey we all deal with stuff. you're not I always See, laugh. yeah I, I i am completely like floored right now because i really oh, i really thought you were yeah, well, that's why I don't talk to you very often. So you, you can keep that illusion going. I have you um, up on a pedestal. I have you up on a pedestal, Doctor Hannah. The other thing is that um, because I speak about stress, I always anticipate something's going to go wrong, and I always look for the opportunity to play with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, I'm just thinking. Last year, this happened where it's like the clicker doesn't work. In my TED talk, the clicker didn't work, and they, the production team was like, "Don't worry about it. We'll just edit the video. No one will know." But I'm sitting here with an audience of people. I don't want to just ignore it. So I end up saying, "Well, of course, I'm a stress expert, so I have to practice what I preach." I'm taking the clicker over my head and through my legs, and you know, just trying to kind of play with this uncomfortable situation. That never would have happened before I started using humor proactively so that I could strengthen my own ability to kind of like, you know, play with something that was uncomfortable or play with something that was difficult and mm -hmm. even the playing field for all of us. So there's that like proactive building your capacity and then the reactive dealing with demands as they happen. And that's what I'm actually going to be looking at um, in a group of successful entrepreneurs. I'm going to be giving them the full cognitive battery of assessments, which takes about 20 minutes to do online. And then I'm also going to be evaluating their humor appreciation and instigation. And then I'm also going to um, be looking at some different kind of humor styles, like what kind of comedy do these people appreciate? And uh, yeah, just some other kind of interesting ways to peel back the layers a little bit of what's really going on. And we'll get right back to that interview with Heidi, but now it's time for fun facts. Fun facts is where I share facts about humor, laughter, sometimes the absurd, but today it's about the benefits of taking a lunchtime stroll. Recent research shows that a 15-minute midday walk boosts concentration and energy throughout the workday. It's also a long-term boon. In a recent study, older adults with mild cognitive impairment who completed a regimen of moderate-intensity treadmill walking performed significantly better on cognitive tests than they did before they started working out. So there you go. Take a walk. Hey everyone, this is Paul Ozinka, president of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, inviting you to join us this May 14th through 17th at our annual conference in New Orleans. It's gonna be awesome. The theme this year is diagnosis happiness. 
So we've got experts from positive psychology, neuroscience, therapeutic humor, even comedy, sharing their wisdom on the relationship between humor and happiness. Now, of course, no conference can be all work and learning. So we're going to be right there in the heart of the French Quarter. So you can sneak off, grab yourself a beignet and see all that New Orleans has to offer. Can't wait to see you there. And now let's get back to Dr. Heidi Hanna and her awesome research on what's going on in your brain. That is such an interesting thing to think about uh, from my perspective on looking at um, using humor strategically, proactively or reactively, Um, you know, uh, just from my perspective, not from a science thing, is that you know, reactively, I can use that to cope with things in a situation that I'm, I'm in, but proactively, um, you know, I, I've used that to, um, uh, like say, say like, like 2013 was like a, a really shitty year. And mm-hmm. so like for, um, you know, a solid year every day on, I, I would, I post a joke a day on Facebook and, you know, a lot of people liked it, but it really was for me. Um, I was yeah. using it proactively for my own mental health just to start my day with something positive. So it's really, you know, to think about it from those two, I, I really never stopped and thought about uh, until you put it in the, that uh, dichotomy of like the reactive and proactive aspects of using humor. Um, so yeah, let me I, add I really, one more. I really, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I want to add one more because you just brought up a really important point. And, and I was taking notes because I was just having a conversation with one of my clients about this framework for a um, stress, I call it stress mastery, stress management, stress mastery um, program that I'm doing with a company who's going through a really difficult time right now, very high profile company. Um, And anyway, so I was thinking about this proactive and reactive, but the third layer of that is connective. And you just gave a great example. I would say the same for my friends on Facebook. They know that when I ask for something funny, that's kind of code for I'm not doing so great. And I'm I'm not looking for them to say, you know, can I help you? I just, I'm just open to sharing some humor because it's so helpful. Um, And you've probably seen that before when it's like, you know, think, I don't even have to say you're tough. It's just like, Hey, what have you seen lately? That's funny. And it's my way. And it's amazing to see how quickly people respond with a video or a meme or whatever it might be. And it's, so it's connective too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's a really important component, especially in a day and age where we have a lot of like hyper connection, but there's not a lot of depth in what we're connecting around. That is so true. I was just reading some stuff not too long ago where that's loneliness is almost at an epidemic proportion that we're more connected sure. than ever. However, yeah. uh, most people report uh, feeling lonely, you know, like nearly 50% of the time. And that, yeah. um, you know, it's all kind of like superficial on our, co- our connectedness. And so, um, so from what I hear you saying, so the connectedness of humor can help, um, decrease or alleviate or dissipate that a bit where it's like more of a real connection? 
You know, what's interesting about it is it gives us a way to kind of reach out for help and to bond with one another. And I think it allows a different type of depth because there's emotion to it. You know, like Mm -hmm. if I post something like that, some people will just share whatever they want. But a lot of people also know, for example, that I'm kind of obsessed with monkeys. So I get a lot of monkey videos and I get a lot of monkey related gifts sent to me, sometimes from people I don't know who they are. And it can be a little awkward. but (laughs) That's that's, that's a little creepy. You know, yeah, like so people you don't just, know sending you monkey stuff. I guess that's, I was sort of thinking about that. I realized that there have been a couple <laughs> of questionable items. Um, but that's it. You know what? The best thing for me is, regardless of who these people are, they know that something matters to me and they're doing something to essentially say I matter to them. And it's it's to that loneliness thing. I mean, studies have shown that people who feel isolated have the same mortality risk or, you know, risk of dying essentially as people who smoke cigarettes every day. And and I always tell people, I'm not saying go smoke with your friends, but it's about perspective. It's the fact that you could be alone and not feel lonely and you Mm -hmm. could be surrounded by thousands of people and feel alone. And I've been in both situations. So it's really, again, that perspective of how we're interpreting the world around us. Uh, and I appreciate you, you, know, you sharing some of that because I've been in those situations uh, situations uh, as well. Um, so let's, a lot of uh, speakers deal with that, by the way. A lot of us who are out there speaking have that challenge because it's one thing to speak to people from uh, the platform and to be traveling and it's so glamorous, um, but it's another thing to come home as I did and have your car bot battery uh, worn out and really be like, oh. Well, where are those people now, right? I don't, I, exactly. I don't have any friends to call. All my friends live someplace else. Hmm. Yeah, that yeah. was a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed a little bit. Uh, that's, that's why I got cool. married. So I have a, you know, steady yeah, some, somebody, you can call, somebody you can call. I'm sure that he right. appreciates that. So, um, so let's uh, shift rudder just a little bit because, you know, uh, in looking at, you know, stress overall, I know that you've got a whole model for, um, stress. I mean, you got like a whole like trademark on it and everything. Um, Thank so you for making sure everyone was aware of that before we talk about this, because it's <laughs> otherwise this, this podcast will self-destruct. Yeah, well, I was only saying that as a joke. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, like uh, I won't even share. Anyway, but let, let's talk a little bit about uh, like your your stress model, because I don't think that. I mean, I think that a lot of times people kind of um, I don't want to say minimize. Um, stress, but they look at it as just like a little thing, but there's so much entailed in, you know, what stresses out and how we can deal with it. So, and I love the way that uh, you're, you're diving in deep to, um, you know, bring it full circle. So people understand how it impacts, you know, their lives, their health, um, and and everything. So, you know, can we, can we jump into that just a little bit? Yes, of course. As long as we know that everything I share from here on out is protected by my trademark, (laughs) I will share the information. So for those of you who have gone through that process, I happen to be a serial entrepreneur since I was very, very young. And, you know, we have to protect these, these ideas. But sometimes you come across something really uh, unique. And that happened in this case 
while we were looking at the stress 360 model because I've actually created an assessment around it. So now I have a training program where practitioners can come in and they can get trained on how to use the model as a speaker, as a coach. They can also use the assessment. We're collecting a ton of data on it. So it's really an exciting time for me because the, the concepts are really simple, but I think the way that they're coming together has had a lot of impact um, over the past few years. So I think stress has certainly gotten a bad rap mm -hmm. um, because we hear all the time stress is killing us. The statistics say that 75 to 90% of medical visits are stress related. Um, so it, it's a big problem. But then when we say that, we're causing people stress. And so I don't want to minimize that. But what I do like to offer up is a new perspective that stress is really a relationship that we have with the circumstances of our life. So as I mentioned before, it ultimately comes down to demand versus capacity. But we have this other level of the lens through which we see that. So there's three components of the Stress 360, which is our stress load, L-O-A-D. Um, stress load is essentially demand versus capacity. It's how much bandwidth do I have? What's being asked of me? And there's reactions that happen when that gap gets to be too much. The second part is my favorite, and we've talked a lot about that, and that is our stress lens. And so that's how you see your experiences, and that has to do with negativity bias, but also has some components of uh, mindset, like if you have a growth versus fixed mindset, uh, if you're sensory sensitive, that's going to impact that as well. So all of these components kind of come together to create a stress lens that we can better understand and actually do something about. So the science has been really supportive of things like gratitude practices, and I would say humor as well, though it hasn't gotten near as much attention as it should, mm -hmm. can shift that lens towards a more positive state. So demand versus capacity, the stress load part is usually looking at like how you eat, how you sleep, how you move, um, just kind of factors to help people understand their lifestyle. But this lens one is really, for me, the, the most fun to help people understand that we can change the way that our brain operates. Mm -hmm. And then the third part is our stress signature. And essentially, that's just for each of us uniquely, how does stress show up in our lives when we look at the different signs or symptoms um, for each of us on our own. So, I mean, I could ask you that. What's the first thing that you notice when you're starting to stress out a little bit? Uh, physically, emotionally, what? Whatever. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, when I start getting stressed out, um, I look at how I can uh, attack that and get it done. You know, whatever it is that's stressing me out, um, I'm more of, um, you know, I can handle, I, I've got a high capacity for handling stress, but if there are things that come up, then I automatically look at is how am I going to alleviate that? So it's okay. something I do, how do I get, how do I get, uh, how do I get it done? If it's a person that's stressing me out, how do I get rid of that person? Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So they, I'm uh, not I, on that list yet. I, you know, I, 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 I look at, um, you know, how do I, uh, how do I divide, uh, how do I conquer it? How do I get rid yeah. of it? Well, you're definitely a take action type of person. So my guess would be that your stress signature is going to tend to be a high energy activation. So I don't know if you ever experience things like maybe you just have more energy, more focus, more attention. But like if that started to be too much and you just said, man, I'm stressed out right now. Is there anything that happens? I mean, are you ever 
impacted where you can't take action and you have to kind of chill out for a little bit or? Sure. If there's things that are outside of my control, I mean, if it's outside of my control, there's nothing, I mean, you know, like for me, like when I think about stress, I think about control and predictability. I can't control the situation. I can't predict what's going to happen. And then that's when, um, uh, I get, that's when I get more stressed out. So if it's without, you know, outside of my control, outside of my, you know, I can't predict what's going to happen, then I have to find a diversion. You know, what am I going to do to um, divert my attention so I'm not solely focused on, you know, whatever it is that I can't control so um, I can focus in on what I can control. Um, so that that's that's what I do. I look like I divert my attention to the things that I can handle. And then, yeah. you know, when I can get to this other thing, uh, when it gets within my purview of things that I can control or um, it starts dissipating, then I can ha- I can work with it. So we're getting in, into a little bit of coping. So let me lead you in. Yes, um, please lead me, Doctor. Direction Hannah. so that you will say what I'm wanting you to say. No, we'll use a case study example. Let's pretend that Chip is over here to the side. And we're going to talk about him as if he's not there, and I'm just going to anticipate maybe some things Chip could experience, or you know, whoever that person is. We can call him John. Um, but let's say that person was trying to feel too much stress and they wanted to take action, but maybe they had a headache or they had some tension in their body. Maybe they got irritable or aggressive. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were short in their communications with their spouse or their children. Um, Maybe they've just got distant, you know, and they just realize, wow, I'm just not connecting. I mean, there's so many kind of signs and symptoms. And I think to help those of you who are listening kind of identify this for something that may be helpful for you is signs are the things that happen quickly and they're not debilitating. So my signs tend to be a headache and I can point out exactly where it shows up and tension in my upper back and my neck where it just feels tight and it's like, oh, I just need to get this released. So I tend to be a person who embodies that kind of stress and I need mm-hmm. to go for a run, which is great because I usually do. Um, and when I can, that works out well. But if I don't, and it continues for too long, it could be I can't sleep, I'm gaining weight, I'm losing weight. Some people lose weight, I don't. I happen to be one of the gainers, so it's like things are going wrong for me. I crave certain types of food. You know, Now I'm putting on weight. Now maybe there's some emotional disruption, I'm feeling depressed. So why I like to separate those is we have these signs that happen first. And the mm-hmm. quicker we can recognize that that's a sign of stress overload and I can take some action like you were talking about and then kind of recharge our own battery or whatever it might be, we can learn to master stress and use it more effectively mm-hmm. before it gets to the symptomatic phase, which is really what we're talking about when we're talking about all the issues with stress is it's not acute in the moment stress. It's chronic every day. I don't have enough time to get it all done. That's the kind of stress that actually kills brain cells and makes us literally like crazy and fat and stupid. Um, because it's a chemical <laughs> reaction happening. You know, it's the name of my new book, um, Trademark. Crazy, so fat, and stupid. that's the kind of stuff that's happening. That, you know? By the way, that is a great title for a book, Crazy, <laughs> Fat, and Stupid. That is a great, I mean, I would buy that. I yeah. uh, honestly, you know, you should. I'll write it for you. Thank you. Thank you. All I have to do is rewrite my Relax Your Fat Off book, and it's essentially that. I just thought the title was a little little intense. Um, no, no, I don't think, I think it would, it, it would play in Peoria. Um, but 
that makes you know that you know well because i'm on the opposite end like when i'm because you know i understand what you're saying for before now on the, like my coping strategies and what i do to cope but you know the symptoms or the signs ahead of time is that like um you know chronic stress for me is the best diet plan i mean yeah. it is because i will like i will drop weight like there's no tomorrow i mean i just like i don't eat as much i don't sleep as much um and you know i it, it is i like i remember you know different times uh, mostly from through my first marriage um mm -hmm. when uh, i was chronically stressed yeah i i dropped down where like i was like i was sickly thin um well, so there's an interesting thing there too i'll just point out for some of you that are wondering well why is that so different that sometimes it's the different people react differently but it's also the different types of stress so mm -hmm. i will say that there's a bit of a rebound effect so if you're going through something that's actually like traumatic or really intense like a relationship um issue or caregiving for a family member i mean these are things that are so intense in the moment that you'll actually lose your appetite and it's very common to lose weight the rebound effect is that once that situation is resolved then it's like the appetite comes back full force and so now people tend to have massive cravings and it's like the the brain's kind of trying to make up for those calories that were spent um, and so that's why like stress can have a really interesting impact on weight management and why I've focused a lot on that in the past. Um, so it's just as important to keep an eye on it and keep it from getting to that point. So let's go back a little bit to um, the scale and let's look at application on, yeah. you know, moving from one point to another, looking at my overall brain health, looking at like my overall stress level. So if I'm looking at using humor strategically, being an appreciator, not, you know, like maybe not having to be funny, but you know, what are some of the things that, you know, people can do to, you know, from your research that uh, are easily applied that, yeah. um, you know, cause I think that that, you know, for me, I mean, I know it works for me, but I think that, you know, sometimes people need like um, some hints. So for what sure. are some things that work? Yeah, so I'm going to use those three different ways that we talked about earlier as far as proactive, reactive, and connective to think about strategies. I'm going to make them specific enough. I hope they'll give uh, people some direction, but also flexible enough that people can customize it. So to me, the proactive one is really important first thing in the morning. And this would be with any sort of intervention that you want to do, if it's gratitude or positivity humor's the same in that way that we want to have an intentional moment to kind of set an anchor for our day. Mm -hmm. So the idea here would be to find something funny. Uh, my suggestion would be to share it if you have a humor homie, as I like to call them, or a humor buddy or a community of people that you could share it with. And so find something funny could be um, going online and literally just looking up like, Thursday memes, <laughs> Thursday funny memes, or mm -hmm. funny greeting cards, or funny monkey greeting cards, or whatever it might be. Um, I think sometimes, and, and it's important to have that intention and kind of set a time limit. It's like, I'm going to go look, I'm not going to spend too much time, I'm going to find the first thing, and then I'm going to grab that, I'm going to share it. But then also, create a, a funny folder where you store those types of things that you find funny. Because there's sometimes where it's pretty easy to go find, and then there's other times where we're just too exhausted or too busy and we just need to kind of get quick access. Um, so I think that like finding something funny, 
proactively sharing it with somebody is a great way to start the day with the intention. And I would suggest if at all possible, you do this before checking your email, watching the news or doing anything other than maybe going to the bathroom or having coffee. And in fact, mm -hmm. you can have coffee at the same time. Part of the reason for that is that when we first wake up, the brain is most adaptable and flexible to take in new information. Mm -hmm. So when we just automatically open the phone, check messages, all that kind of stuff, we tend to get hijacked towards negative. Mm -hmm. So do this first. The reactive one is I think it's a great strategy to create a ritual of looking back on your day and thinking about what the funniest thing is that happened to you. Especially if you have another person or group of people you can do this with. If you have kids, it's ideal. You just at the dinner table before bed at some point in the evening say, what's the funniest thing that happened to you? And if you start that habit, especially with kids, they'll start observing their day through a different lens. They'll start finding things funny. They'll start actually having this kind of coping mechanism, not of using humor in a way to like bully people or to tease people, but mm -hmm. to just reflect on things that are funny or silly or amusing. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one is, is through connection. So, you know, reach out to a friend and say, Hey, I'm going to do this humor challenge. And, you know, for the next seven days, I'm going to find something funny and I'd love to share it with you. And you can formalize it that way, or you could just do it, you know, think, Hey, every day I'm going to find something funny to share with somebody um, who could appreciate that. And I'm so grateful because really for the last eight years, my best humor homie, Karen Buxman has done this for me almost every single day. Right. And it's been amazing to see the impact of that. Well, and that last one, the connection piece can be integrated into the other, the proactive and the reactive very easily. Absolutely. You know, where, like I said, like in 2013, like me sharing a joke every day on Facebook, um, which like they all showed up in my memories uh, last year. And I was like, oh, these are so good. I'm going to share them again. It's five years later. Nobody remembers them. I don't even remember them. So I'm going to share them again. And it was a great connection piece with other people. Um, yeah. and, and don't I, underestimate this at work too. I mean, I know we, we talk about like, how do you use this in the workplace or how do you use this as a leader? It's one of the best things you could do is give people some levity, amuse, you know, it doesn't have to be telling jokes for me. A lot of times it's videos. So the, this, I don't know if you saw the Steve Harvey NFL awards, but we were watching that Steve Harvey did this incredible monologue about racial diversity in the NFL. And it's, it's ironic for me because I'm studying racial diversity and racial stress and intergenerational trauma and all this really fascinating stuff. His way to take a really important and somewhat sensitive, very sensitive topic and make light of it in a way that really was embracing all sides of the story, I thought was just masterful. And it's actually a clip I'm going to share in my uh, trainings that I do. What aren't you studying? I just, uh, all of it. You, I mean, I studied you for a while and I got fed up. So <laughs> You got fed up because it's like, there's no depth there. None, none whatsoever. Chip is completely yeah. scratch and sniff. That's, that's it. There's no depth there whatsoever. Um, I'm glad I didn't try that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, um, I'm really looking forward to, you know, like, uh, at the conference, hearing a little bit more about, because I know that you were talking about that, the, you know, you'll have a little bit more um, uh, on your studies uh, at that time. And I'm really excited to, you know, talk to you then, maybe a little before, because I think I'm going to see you before then um, on some of the things you're doing. 
Um, so on the note of the conference, let me just share, because I haven't said this to anybody yet. Um, I know we're going to have a research session at the conference in New Orleans, and I was late to the game to actually submit my research for that, but I have been given permission to put up a poster in the hallway if anyone wants to talk to me about it. So for those of you who are coming to the conference, I'll have my data available and certainly will be around to have conversations with people who want to chat more about it. So really well, excited about that. I will have a conversation with you. Thank you. So I won't be left alone. Maybe not about that, but I will have a conversation <laughs> with you. Absolutely. I appreciate so, that. Uh, no, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you spending some time with me today. I mean, it's always such a pleasure because, you know, you uh, like for me as a humor enthusiast and applicator, you know, I go through and, um, you know, I know it works for me, but it's always so great to talk to people that um, are uh, doing the great work on research and, and, you know, making me understand why it works for me. So I so appreciate, um, you know, the stuff that you're doing because, you know, like I said, I know it works, but now I know why it works. So thanks for giving me the why. You are so welcome. And I would say, you know, uh, both sides are so important. It's why I am an integrationist and why I study integrated concepts is so oftentimes we do get trademark happy and we want the new model and the new thing. And there's so many theories out there that are standalone that could just be so much more effective if we looked at what really works. And then on the other side of it, the practical application. So I'm excited that I'm not in a lab, you know, really going deep into some of this, but I'm out in the real world uh, using this with real life people and real life situations and seeing what works so that we can continue to build on that. Yes. 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 Now, where, uh, where can people connect with you, Dr. Heidi Hanna? Well, people can go to HeidiHanna.com, which is my website, and certainly um, please no more monkey gifts unsolicited, but I was going to say people can also find me um, usually on LinkedIn. I tend to hang on LinkedIn a little bit more. I have three LinkedIn learning courses available mm -hmm. that people can watch. Um, one is on stress, one's on energy management, and a new one actually coming out any day now on uh, overwhelm not how to be overwhelmed, but how to get rid of it. Um, so there's that would that. be a great <laughs> course though. How to get overwhelmed. Yeah. That would be an awesome course. Yeah. And in fact, when that course came along, it was funny because I was thinking, I would love to do another LinkedIn course. And then they reached out to me and said, can you do a course on overwhelm and can you rush it? Cause we need it right now. And I was like, super overwhelmed. So it was perfect. Um, the other thing I'll <laughs> add is we have an awesome global stress summit and I'm very excited this year because we're going to do a new kind of hybrid model where we're going to have all of our sessions streaming for free on YouTube. And then we're going to have some local connection hubs where people can actually get together, have discussions, listen to our experts. And the agenda is just off the charts. Um, we will have a session on strategic humor with our local chapter from San Diego actually hosting that as a panel. So um, people can go to globalstresssummit.com to get information on the summit. And we're going to be donating proceeds back to different nonprofit organizations. So I think we're going to post a link um, that people can use specifically to come through Laughbox. And that way we'll make sure that the proceeds go back to studying humor and to AATH. That sounds fantastic. 
Yes. Now I'm going to end up um, just asking you a few random questions for my overstuffed oh. Would You Rather book because it's just fun for me. Sweaty palms. Sweaty palms. Yes, I don't sir. know why that makes me nervous. When you say I'm going to ask something random, then it just makes me nervous, but I'm ready. Well, see that I don't see if you're going to ask, we're completely opposite because like, if you're going to ask me to talk about something like you're talking about, that would give me sweaty pounds, but something random, I'm good to talk about whatever random is on the table. So I'm going to, I'm going to apologize in advance. because I don't know where this book's going to open up to. So Dr. Heidi Hannah, would you rather marry someone who is kind, but not really in love with you or Marry someone who treats everyone else terribly and disrespectfully, but totally adores you. Wow. That, that it seems like it was going to be a difficult question, but because I cannot tolerate people who are unkind to other people, it'd probably be the first one kind, but not so into me. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah. See, I do the other one. I don't give a shit about anybody else. <laughs> as long as you're oh, worshiping, as, as long as you're worshiping chip, I'm good with that. All right. Yeah, so in fact, if you're nice to everybody else and you're mean to me, that's like the first 30 years of my dating life. So that's what felt normal. <laughs> that's a whole All right. Fortunately, I'm married to a saint now. So he is. He is life. a good guy. I would marry him. So, and he's good looking too. So, you know, I'm just saying. All right. Second question of three Would you rather drink a two ounce glass of liquid from a huge blister? Or eat, oh. eat a salad covered with bits of scabs. Like I'm, I'm just, I can't. I'm viscerally, like I'm gagging right now. I can't. I can't All right, oh, we'll leave that one alone. All right, all right. This is a better one. Last question, Doctor Heidi Hannah. Would you rather have your breath smell like a bad fart, or? Have your laugh laugh sound like a bad fart. Oh gosh. Oh, it's gotta be the second one. Yeah. I you know, I don't laugh very often. I think I mentioned this in the beginning. I, I find all sorts of things funny, but I don't laugh out loud very much. So I'd be okay with that. But if my breath stank, I talk a lot. And uh, that just from a statistic perspective, uh, that choice makes the most sense. That's why yeah. I always hand you. That's why I always have mitts on hand when I'm around you. So, um, <laughs> I passed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for spending some time with me today. I mean, it's always such a pleasure. Uh, you, 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 you push, you, you, you push my mind uh, to think about things I hadn't really thought about before. So, thank you for that, and I know my the audience will appreciate that as well. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your humor and I love sharing mirth, um, but I also really like talking about things that matter. And I know that this matters too. So I appreciate, I appreciate that. I appreciate you and everyone who's listening who in this long. <laughs> I sure appreciate you as well. <laughs> well, there you go. Dr. Heidi Hanna. Is she super smart or what? I mean, she's just so involved in so many different things. A little bit here, a little bit there. Just, I wish I operated on that level or I had that much energy. Um, I'm going to encourage you to uh, go to her website. I'm going to encourage you also to sign up for the Stress Summit. If you do, like I said previously, she'll kick a little bit back to AETH and you'll get a free book. You can't beat that. And I'm also going to tell you to go to AETH.com, sign up for the conference. 
Paul gave you an invitation. I'm giving an invitation. What's stopping you? Do it today. So until next time, this is Chip Lutz saying we'll keep the laugh on for you. Thanks for listening to Laugh Box. If you'd like to learn more about AATH, visit our website at www.aath.org or email the host at chip at unconventionalleader.com. And if you'd like to be particularly awesome, leave us a review on iTunes. And or tell your friends about how awesome the podcast is. Unless you didn't think it was awesome. And then just keep it your little secret. Or tell them it was awesome and then laugh to yourself about how you're going to be wasting an hour of their time while you're out doing something productive like handing out heads of cabbage at a Miley Cyrus concert. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. And may the farce be with you.